This is Darren Davis, founder and senior leader of the Harbor Church in South Florida, and you are listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and others, visit us online at harborchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Today, so good to be with you this morning. Everybody doing okay? Isn't it beautiful when we just come to that place of uh, simple worship? And just dialing everything down. And it was so, I think, inspiring for my heart to hear the volume of people singing in the room, even above the people on the stage. You know, there's something about that where we become active participants in some experience versus, you know, just recipients, right? Participants versus recipients. I think this is the shift that God is is bringing. And that's one of the reasons, like... I want to just encourage you every Sunday in here, first 15 minutes, don't come sit in this section. Go sit at a table, sit at a couch, be around the table in the, in the, in the cafe in there, and let's engage with one another. Let's sit down and get to know one another, hear one another's stories. It's, it's just so important for us to, to not be a recipient, but be a participant in like what God is doing with his church right now. I think it's really important. So we're trying to be very intentional with this. We're going to push the boundaries a little bit, stretch the limits, but, but come back next Sunday. It's going to be awesome. We're even kind of mixing things up a little bit where it's not just one-way communication. We're trying to set and build tables where there can also be conversation among our community. And so next weekend, we'll, next weekend will be that. So come and check it out. It's going to be really, really awesome. So come back. It's going to be great. Um, listen, we are in the Build the Wall series right now. And it's all about the book of Nehemiah and his story of how in 52 days he had an opportunity that was granted to him from the Lord where he was able to rebuild the walls and the, and the gates around the city of Jerusalem, right? Walls represent safety. Gates represent points of relational access. So just think about it in terms of like, uh, a word picture for us, like how many of you believe that God wants to, to create safe spaces, safe relationships for us to come into in this time? You know, I was watching a friend of mine who's a pastor in Atlanta. He was talking about marriage and he says, there has to be a table of safety in marriage where there can be open and honest communication done in love with one another to build the bridges of the heart from one individual to the other individual, right? Safe spaces is a rare commodity right now. Relationships haven't been super safe. You know, all kinds of authority, you know, figures haven't felt really safe in some ways. You know, things going on in the world haven't felt safe. But God is building a church that is a safe place. And it's done through relationship, and relationship is built on one thing, and that's trust. Everybody say trust. Super important. We got to build trust, right? And trust comes as we really get to know one another. And then the relational access points is where we really want to see people come into the experiences that we're having with God. And we make intentionality um, a priority for, for how do we get and give people access, right? So, you know, if you th- I wanna, here's what I want to do. I'm going to talk just for the next few minutes. I'm going to talk about the cost of following Jesus, And I haven't actually taught on this topic in quite some time, but here's what I want you to do. I want you not to think ahead and figure out and determine in your own mind based on what you've experienced in your Christian journey on what that cost actually looks like. And I want you just to wait 
Let the word of the Lord come forth and see what Holy Spirit might want to speak to you about what it really means to follow Jesus and the cost of following Jesus, all right? Because in the, in the recap, just over Nehemiah, just to kind of tie that in, and then we're going to go into some other scriptures this morning. For 70 plus years, the city of Jerusalem lied in a state of disgrace. Basically, it was just, it was not a safe place. It was not an inhabitable city. There was problems. There was all kinds of stuff that was going on in that city for 70 years. And whenever the people of God tried to do anything to make it better, the enemy would come right in and tear down every piece of their work that they had given their hands to. You ever felt like that in life? Like sometimes you're like, man, things are a mess. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to try to bring some change to this. And then as much work as you put in, it seems like all of that work was reversed in a moment. This went on for 70 years. 70 years. A, a people were trying to give themselves to a city to make it a better place to live. And, and, and every day they would wake up and the same exact thing would happen. Whatever they put their hands to, hands to would just be taken and disintegrated, right? But God wants to show us something in this story because that is not how things are to operate in the kingdom of heaven. Can I get an amen? In fact, he shows us that in 52 days, as this door of opportunity is open to Nehemiah, he is able to actually rebuild the walls, restore the gates, and make a city what it was destined to ultimately become. When we talk about a city, we're not talking about, you know, geopolitical cities. We're talking about people who dwell in spaces like South Florida, right? This is our home. We live here. We, we do our work here. We have our relationships here. And this is a place that God wants to do something profound in. But it's not going to look like the way we think it's going to look to see it come to pass. Oftentimes, too, I want to just say this note up front. Um, during these 52 days, they still experience challenges. If you're looking for a, a, a challenge-free life, that's probably not a good expectation to have, right? There's going to be trouble that will be waiting for us in the tomorrow. There was also internal struggles within the people. Even during these 52 days, they had doubts, they had fears, they had you know, relational conflict a little bit that was going on. But the point is, is that as they put their hands to build with the, with the, with the trowel and they had a sword in the other, meaning they, they, were, they, were, they were taking part in the vision and they, were, and they were warring against the enemy, that in 52 days, the mission was able to be accomplished. The mission was able to be accomplished. I was thinking about adversaries that we face things that, that we are going to be up against. And they're threefold, really. It's super simple. It's man against man. And this has been kind of, that was, that, if I was going to say 20, what was 2020 all about? It was man against man. That was a big ad, adversarial moment right there. Um, but it's man against the environment. Like just what it means to live where you live and the things that you deal with. But here's the biggest thing. I think the biggest adversary is man against himself. And when I use the term man, I'm talking male and female. I'm just saying our biggest enemy is ourselves. And so God wants to do something in our hearts today. And the, and the adversaries that we're going to face are not us, right? They're not even other people. 
You know, the environment that we even live in, I was reading this verse this morning just for during our time of prayer before that just came to me, if I can pull it up here. It's, it's Paul praying out of Ephesians, an apostolic prayer. He said, I pray that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. And he says, this is the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right place of authority and honor at the right hand of God where he sits and reigns in this very moment. And he says he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world has, that, that, has, that is to come. And he says God has made all things to be under his authority, which now is under our authority, where he is the head over the church. And the church is his body and is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things with himself. This is our portion. So when Paul was talking in, in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he says, hey, listen, there's, there's this great and effective door that's been opened to me where there are many adversaries. That's all the ones that we're talking about, but you've got to understand that in the context of the gospel, the greatest adversary is ourself. And our belief in what Christ has actually done for us that is empowering us to get to where he's calling us to go. So last, last week, couple weeks ago, um, Wendy and I um, went to St. Louis in Kansas City just for a quick, it was a ministry trip where we were connecting with some people. And we had some time to kill in St. Louis, which, where we had never been before. We met up with actually a young couple that was at our marriage, the marriage retreat we were at a few weeks ago, which was great. And then we had some other time to kill. And I was like, babe, let's go see the St. Louis Ark. Have you guys ever seen Arch? Yeah, Arch, right? The St. Louis Arch. Have you ever seen the St. Louis Arch before? Anybody ever been there? So I want to put a picture up. It was actually a mind bender for me as I was just looking at this thing, this, this arch that just extends, you know, way. I mean, this thing goes way up into the sky and, and, and it's just a, a real sight to behold. I think I have one more photo that I want to show you that maybe even gives a little bit more context. That's Wendy standing next. So you can see just how massive this thing is. And so I get this bright idea. I'm like, there's got to be a way to get to the top you know, of this thing. And, and let's, so I, you know, we walked around, we found a little office and there actually was, they had an elevator that goes to the top of the arch. Right. And so I'm thinking it's like a normal elevator. Like, you know, one, you know, where you press the button, I want to go to the top of the arch, you know, kind of thing. It's big and spacious and stuff. And so when the guy, I was getting ready to buy our tickets, the guy was like, I have a few questions for you before I can sell these tickets to you. Are you afraid of heights? Yes, but I think I can get through this. That's what I'm thinking to myself. And then he went on with a couple of other things, but he said, are you in any way affected by enclosed spaces? And I was just going to, you know, I was, you know, when you're a man, you just kind of man up in that moment kind of thing. And I was just going to kind of bypass the question. But then that little voice on the inside said, ask him why he's asking this question. And he said, well, because, you know, the way up is not like a normal elevator. It's actually like a little pod and it kind of goes sideways and then it readjusts and goes sideways a little bit more. And all the, I, at the moment, I, I started entering into probably one of the most profound panic attacks that I've ever had in my lifetime. Just thinking about it.
But before I said no to the guy and didn't buy the tickets, I was like, what is it like? Can you tell me a little bit more about this pod? He said, well, actually, we have one right over there that you can go sit in and just get a feel for what this experience is going to be like. Guys, listen, this thing was like like a a mouse hole that was... (laughs) With filled with five different seats, and I was thinking, "Oh my goodness, I'm going to be crammed into this little, this little torture of, of doom, you know, doom, doom torture chamber." That's what I was thinking, and I'm going to be going. And I was even asking, I said, "How long does it take?" It's like 15 minute ride in this little capsule to get up to the top. And I actually went and sat in there by myself, and I just completely lost it, melted down. Didn't go back and see the guy and get the tickets. Why do I tell you that story? The ark, you know what it represents? If you, did anybody know why, why did they put the ark in St. Louis? Does anybody know? If you're from St. Louis, you can't tell me why. Gateway to the West. So this was as far, if you think back to history in America, this was as far as civilization had gone. This was the end. Anything past that arch was like the wild west, the frontier, right? And there was this this desire in, in people, not only from this country, but from other parts of the world, that came to America because of the promise of what could be. So I was just kind of captured by this moment because my great-grandparents made the trek from Pennsylvania and from Chicago, Chicago on my grandmother's side, Pennsylvania on my grandfather's side, from those states all the way out to the state of Wyoming to where they they eventually settled. So they were on this journey of following a dream. When I'm talking about following Jesus, I'm not talking about following a pastor or a worship leader or even a church. I'm talking about following after the dream of God. And the dream of God is way bigger than any person or any church or any city or anything that's happening in ministry. It is a big, massive dream where we are, we are seeing the kingdom of the Lord expand over the, 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 the far reaches of the earth. And it's, 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 it's an unknown territory in many ways, right? And people that are sitting in this room that are watching me online that will be listening to this message, you've been on a journey to get to this moment where you're kind of going through the arch into the unknown. Let's look quickly. That was a big, long introduction and I need to move fast, okay? But look with me at Luke chapter 14 because I want to talk about the cost of following Jesus and how this relates to the story of the ark and and, and the expansion west and just the, the kind of the imagery that we can see there. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Look what he says. It's Jesus speaking. As massive crowds followed Jesus, he turned to them and said, when you follow me as my disciple, and then he gives some qualifications, you must put aside your father, your mother, your wife, your sisters, your brother. Yes, 
You will even see as though you hate, as though you hate your own life. And he said, this is the price you'll pay to be considered one of my followers. Now, I don't promote any series, okay? So when I say um, the series that Wendy and I watched, I'm not promoting it. I think, you know, you have to make your own decision to watch whatever. But, but after this trip to Kansas City, I was like, let's watch that series called 1883 that's kind of the precursor showing the journey uh, on the Oregon Trail from basically like that area all the way out west. I said, let's watch it. And it was actually a super depressing series. It's like if things got worse, the, 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 the longer they went. And all the people that started out, I think just a handful of them were left by the time they got out to Oregon. It's crazy. I'm like, Lord, really? You want to inspire me by this series when like most of the people that started out on this trek got decimated and stuff? But he's like, no, there's a deeper thing that I want you to come to understand as you're watching this deal. And there's this one scene in 1883 where they're having to take the wagons across the river. And the wagons are just weighed down by all of these possessions that are so valuable to these pioneers that are making their way out west. And I was wondering, I was thinking, we were like, man, God, thank you for bridges. You know, like you, you don't even realize like how far we've come as a culture. And thank you for bridges that, that help us just to drive a car across a piece of water that normally we could never even get across. Right. But here they're coming up on this river and they have to take all of their massive possessions, pianos, couches, bedroom furniture, and leave them in this big, huge field. And there's this powerful scene, and I, I'm sorry, I'm not giving you away the series, but I, have to, I just have to say it for the sake of the illustration. There's a powerful scene where this 18-year-old girl who the, the story of this expansion out west is being narrated through her life, she sits down at this piano and starts to play this song. She hadn't played the piano in some time, and she's playing this piano that's been left in this field all the while, they're showing images of people trying to cross these wagons across this river. And people are falling out of the wagons. The, the wagons are tipping over. The horses are drowning. It was, it, it was a very dramatic scene. And as I was watching that, I thought about what it means to actually leave everything behind. Here's the question. What is weighing our lives down that are hurting us or hindering us from moving forward into the things that God has for us? What are the things that we need to get rid of and see the people, they were in dire straits. They're like, you know, this one guy, I think I said this the other week. He said, you know, I'm a musician. I can't leave my instrument here. This is my life. This is my livelihood. He said, when you're a pioneer, no one's a musician. No one's a blacksmith. No one's a carpenter. No one's nobody until you get to where you're going. So all the stuff that you identify with who you are in your life, you need to leave that behind and follow after me. This is what Jesus is saying. And when you think about like this whole thing about brothers and fathers, it sounds so harsh and even hating your own life. What he's talking about is like the world that you came up in, that you never asked for, your mom, your dad, your circumstances, your family situations, your own journey before Jesus. If you're holding on to any of that, you need to leave it in the field. 
You need to leave. That stuff is, yes, it's a part of your story. And on the other side of the grace of God and us being trophies of his grace, we can talk about those things. I'm writing about all kinds of stuff in the book that Wendy and I are finishing right now. But listen, it's not my identity. I am not who my parents were. I'm not who my own circumstances were. I'm not, and all that stuff is being left behind. So you got to leave that behind. And then in verse 27, moving quickly, he says, anyone who comes to me must be willing to share, look at the language here, it's very important, my cross. We'll share in it, but it's not our cross. He's the one that went to the cross and gave his life. Do you understand? But we must share and identify in it and experience it as our own, or we could not be his disciple. Darren, what is Jesus talking about here? Listen, you got to understand, the cross is as we leave all the stuff behind that tries to define us, tries to keep us captive, that is not the Lord, and we leave all that behind, then you got to have somewhere to go. And the cross, my friends, is the ark. It is a doorway into what is possible. Do you understand? When Jesus went to that cross... I don't know if we realize this or not fully, but I'm starting to just really just get this on the inside of my DNA. He was making opportunity for humanity to come back to its original intention pre-fall. In other words, there's, there, was, there was purpose and destiny and relationship and calling and, and beauty and restoration and all these things that God wanted to do through men and women. And through his death on the cross, he was making a way for us to follow him. That's why even the early church, it wasn't called the first Baptist or first this or the harbor or anything. It was called the way. That's what it was referred to. Here's the way. Here's an opportunity. Come through the arch. Don't take the elevator ride. Come on, somebody. Just go through the arch and get going on this journey, right? Discipleship, and this is so massive, is learning how to build our lives on the foundation, not of what we bring to the table, but what Christ has brought to the table and made provision for us. Mm. I'm going to get to something here in just a minute. Remember when he's, he's talking in the next verse, look at this with me. He says, verse 28, he says, don't follow me without considering what it cost to you. For who would construct a house before sitting down to estimate the cost to complete it? So he's trying to give insight into, hey, what would a 52-day journey of my grace look like for your life? 70 years, you know, that, that's like a lifetime. Do you want to spend a lifetime like doing the same stuff over and over again, living the same kind of life that you had before Jesus? Or do you really want to enter into something profound and supernatural? If you do, here's what this is going to look like. And... Psalms, we see in Psalms chapter 127, verse 1 and 2, he says, If God's grace doesn't help the builders, they will labor in vain to build a house. Darren, where are you going with this? Listen, a lot of the pioneers that went out west back in the day, they were strong people, right? I mean, these were risk takers. They, they, they were not risk adverse, right? They were willing to step out, which is beautiful. 
But how many of you know that can be your greatest weakness if you're putting any, any confidence in what you bring to the table to actually see you get to where you're going versus build on the foundation of what Christ has established. And count the cost, like, Jesus, I'm not going to go on this journey. In fact, this is where I'm coming to even more and more in my life today. I'm like, I can't move forward. I can't take and, and go this direction without you going before me. Without you and your power enabling me to do something that's bigger than me. heard that phrase falling on the rock lest he falls on you I just want to show you that scripture and the team can come back up Luke chapter 20 verse 17 Jesus looked straight at the people and said what do you think this verse means the worthless rejected stone has become the cornerstone and the most important of all who's he talking about come on who's he talking about himself right what people deemed as worthless when he was talking about rejection. The one who was rejected. That the world couldn't see his value and his beauty fully. He's become the cornerstone. In other words, just it's the, it's the actual um, pure, you know, way that the whole house is going to be constructed. That stone is perfectly hewn and must be be reproduced in other stones where they're fitted perfectly together to build God's house. So what Jesus has done, he wants to see actually replicated in us. What was rejected, what the world thought is useless, we must deem as valuable more than anything else in this world. That's why we can leave our past behind. That's, that's why we can leave the stuff that's weighing us down behind because we want to grab a hold of the Lord who is the only one that's going to sustain us into our future. Do you see his beauty? Do you see his value this morning? He says in verse 18, here's a great, great thing for us to understand. Everyone who falls in humility upon that stone will be broken. Meaning, Broken in a healthy way, like, right? Like, we're like, who we thought we were, that, that part of us is dead now. But whoever will not do that, that stone will grind them to pieces. Not meaning that Jesus is cruel. It's just that, man, our lives can't hold up if we're trying to do this in our own abilities. What does it mean? What does it look like to following Jesus. I'm going to skip one portion, but in Luke chapter 14, verse 34, he talks about salt being good for seasoning, but if salt loses its flavor, how can it ever be restored? There's a work of God that is happening, that must happen in our own lives to give us the seasoning of heaven to actually accomplish something in this life that's eternal. Come on, anybody besides me been on that journey and felt like, wow, this is tough. This is hard. Am I going to make it? Is there really a promise for me? 
Do I have the capacity, God, to get to where you're taking me? Am I going to see something great in my life? The answer to that is yes. And I'm closing with this psalm. I've got to read this over you guys. Psalm 16, verse 1. I love, I love this. I love this language. He says, keep me safe, almighty God. I run for dear life to you, my safe place. Listen, what if that was our only option? What if we made it our only option? Because trust me, it won't be your only option. You can go on a vacation. You can go get your nails done. You can go out to dinner. You can go, you know, tie one on. You can go do whatever to try to fill that place in your heart. But listen, there is a church that's gonna run to Jesus because they know that he's the only place that they can go. He's the only thing that they've actually got. I remember Banny Leapshire one time, he says, man, I'm so encouraged by this generation because in a generation with so many options, they're choosing Jesus. So I said to the Lord, verse two, you are my maker, my meditator my mediator, sorry, my master. Anything good that you find in me has come from you. We're not boasting in our own righteousness, right? And then he responds to the psalmist, the Lord does, he says in verse three, my holy lovers, my wonderful majestic ones, my glorious ones, filling all of my desires. This whole journey with God, it's filling the desires of God's heart so beautiful and then we respond Lord I have verse 5 I've chosen you alone as my inheritance you are my prize my pleasure my portion I leave my destiny and its timing into your hands I'm not here for the gold rush in and of itself Lord I am here because you are my inheritance and he finishes with this verse 6 and I close Your pleasant path leads me to pleasant places. Some versions say my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. And he says, I'm overwhelmed by the privilege that comes with following you for you have given me the best. Would you stand? We're gonna dismiss parents to get their kids in just two minutes. close your eyes, I want to take you to the finish, and I want to just describe my grandparents' homestead. Guys, as I would come there as a child and enter onto their property, it was like an oasis in the midst of the desert. Trees around all of the buildings on the property, gardens, producing some of the most beautiful fruits and vegetables, corn, tomatoes, raspberries. And I could just go out as a kid and I could pick off and eat whatever I wanted. The grass on the property was as green as any grass that I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I would look out beyond the trees and there'd be fields in square measurements by acres going acre upon acre out from this homestead and 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 these these fields were green with crops growing on a massive level 
But what I came to understand is that all of that was made possible because someone said, I'm going to plant myself in this place and I'm going to find a way to get the river to come here because it was uninhabitable ground. And so they created these canals and these waterways to filter water from the Shoshone River into these properties. And water brought life. I think today as we close, I think there's some people here that God is destined to go and do something great, but God wants to get you to where you plant yourself on following Jesus, where it's not about your ability. It's not about what you bring to the table. It's not about your own desires. It's about about what he's done and saying, Lord, I'm here. I'm standing in this. Everything that I have that's good is you. And he's going to get you the water that you need to see the life that's destined to come forth all around you happen. Could you just open your hands just today? Lord, would you touch all these beautiful people in such a profound way with your presence, God? Can we just tell them just again in our own way, Lord, if we don't have your presence, we can't move forward. Lord, if we don't have your blessing, we can't do what you've called us to do. Lord, if we don't have your divine enabling power that lives on the inside of us, this thing called resurrection life, Lord, we are incapable of bringing any eternal change to our worlds. Lord, would you come and would you meet us once again and amplify that which we already carry in a new way and take us into a glorious future. love you. We're going to have the worship team just sing a song, but you're going to be officially dismissed. And listen, let's make some time for connection. We have some coffee out here. We have some stuff in the cafe. Make sure to connect with people, but let's just go before the Lord. If you have kids, please go get your kids out of the nursery and thank and give a big hug to those nursery workers. Listen, God bless you guys. We're going towards promised, beautiful inheritances that God has taken us. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Church Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.